Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Adamola Bookman podcast and this is an AFCON special. Today we're doing Committed, the book of twice African Footballer of the Year, Didier Drogba. Hello Johnny. Hello Al, how are you? I have a little game for you. Ooh, very exciting little game. I'm going to give you some African team names, nicknames, and let's see how you do, okay? I'm going to give you five, okay? Okie dokie. All right. Okay, I'm going to soft bat this one for you. The Super Eagles. Nigeria. Okay, ding. Or, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> My pride is sealed. Bafana, Bafana. South Africa. Not bad, Al. It roughly translates as the boys, the boys. Black Stars. That's Ghana. Very good, Al. And I think. Hey, that's look at me. Okay, Atlas Lions. Atlas, Atlas Lions. Morocco. Oh, very good. Really, genuinely. Yeah. Ah. And then my favorite is this one: Indomitable Lions. All right, Cameroon. Very good. <laughs> And uh, that's folks why I host a football podcast because of my <laughs> massive football knowledge. Yeah, every continent. Go on, give me give me Asian nicknames. Go on. Uh well just on that one on Cameroon, I've got their shirt on for the day, but uh they have crashed out of AFCON as a result of two goals by none other than Adamola Luckman. Adamola oh, Luckman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a couple of other fun names, uh, fun names from Africa. The Sparrow Hawks of Toga, the Eagles of Carthage from Tunisia, and the Copper Bullets from Zambia. That's all good fun, isn't it? Copper Bullets. Yeah, it's a nice I one. like that. Let your body Johnny, this book. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we could have read a Wikipedia page, couldn't we? We could have re- read a Wikipedia page with slight interjections of, I am a man and I have emotions. <laughs> and I love Roman Abramovich. The book is called Commitment, which is a dreadful name, a dreadful title for a book. It's written like it was written by like a like a child, really. Like the language is really, really um, basic or something. Well, that's right. I mean, with all these, he's obviously writing in his second language. So you have to have some allowances there. I did I did Google looking for the ghostwriter. Um, I didn't see anything, which is not to say there wasn't one. But yeah, it, maybe, maybe he did genuinely write this one. In the parts where he's talking about growing up and trying to make it as a footballer, it's, it's extremely, extremely dull. When it gets to the Chelsea stuff, at least there's some, you know, little morsels of interest in there. So let's let's get going. So he's born in the Ivory Coast. Yeah, I, this part I didn't know. Like I just assumed he grew up in the Ivory Coast, but no, his 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 uncle was a professional footballer in France, and and, and at a young age, that's where Drogba went to to grow up. So Julio's parents sent him to live with his uncle, thinking that he could have a better life in France, and obviously. Seeing his uncle being a professional footballer obviously would have imbued Didier with the confidence that he too could do that. So he had some ups and downs. He bounced back. He went he went back to Ivory Coast now and again to be with his parents, but eventually he ended up in France. So he's this extremely yeah, emotional, kind of mercurial character. And if you say 
send him a nice text message or say a nice thing about Didier Drogba, he will be loyal to you for the rest of his life. Yeah, you're not wrong there. He <laughs> said, Frank Lampard sent him a text, didn't he? And he's, oh my God. Not, he didn't just say, oh my God. He kept the telephone. He said he kept the phone because the text message meant so much to him. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, an indictment on the book, really. But the most interesting bit comes right at the end, which is basically his list of achievements. And also, it's, it's like a bunch of listicles, like my favourite players, like uh, the best players I ever played with. And that is actually the best bit of the book. By the way, his top five Chelsea players, number one. Can you remember who his number one top five Chelsea player is? No, I don't remember this part of the book. I'll give you I'll, a clue. He's not a player and he's Russian. Yeah, it's Abramovich. <laughs> His number one number one Chelsea player of all time ever is Roman Abramovich. My oh, God. My. Yeah, cheekers. That's amazing, isn't it? And who's number two? Jose. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Got it in one. He, he loves Jose, which is not huge surprise. When you see the managers that he's played under, it's all of the, with the exception of Pep and Ferguson, I guess, it's all of the, the huge names of management in the last, whatever, in that 10-year period. Ancelotti, Reno, Roberto Mancini, Scaleri, there was Hiddink. He, he'd tell you which ones he liked and make some effort at explaining, but he, he just never goes very deep, Drogba. No, 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 well, no, there's no details. I mean, even the managers he doesn't like he doesn't really have that many bad words for him sometimes he's frustrated at not starting and there's a lack of communication but there's no zingers there is there he's the same age as Henri like Henri and Trezeguet were, were young players in the 1998 squad that won the World Cup and Drogba was at home watching it on television now you kind of learn later in the book that obviously Drogba played for Ivory Coast but you can kind of detect that he would have played for France had he be had he chosen as a as a younger player, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, he was one of those. He bloomed. I mean, he didn't reach Chelsea till he was what twenty six, twenty seven. Well, he bloomed it, much later. Yeah, like so. Henri is four months older than Drogba, and at the age of twenty, Henri had won the World Cup, and Drogba was sitting at home watching it on television as an injured sub at a League B team. And he didn't get a he didn't get his first professional contract until he was twenty one. He bounces around second division team. So who does he play for? Who does he get signed for? Le Mans, Le Mans, and then he goes to Gangon. That's right. Yeah, in Brittany, in Brittany, at where at which he made a name for himself, and then he gets into the uh, league one with uh, Marseille. Well, this is a cool team, isn't it? I'd play for Marseille. Gangon came up, I think. So I think they're kind of like an up and down league on league the team. He was in and out of the team. What's very clear is that he's very temperamental, I think, Drogba, and he requires huge like support from his managers. But the managers who give him that get it back from him in spades. At least this is how he he portrays things. But if a manager doesn't um have faith in him, he seems to get you know, demotivated and find himself on the bench and struggle to get back in the team, that kind of thing, you know. And I think he feels let down by the managers when they don't play his preferred system. Like, as you say, he he, he was born in Ivory Coast. He left when he was, I think he was five. He was in France with his uncle. And then he was just trying to make it, but he doesn't really say anything that's interesting. It only gets interesting, really, 
when he gets to Marseille. Yeah, that's right. And that so, Marseille, he kicks the mass. Yeah. And this is when he comes to the uh, international recognition, right? There's a UEFA Cup run, and certainly that's when I first noticed him. I think he played against Newcastle. Yeah, he said that, all right, in the book. Yeah, and I remember that game, Johnny. I remember seeing him play and thinking, ooh, look at that lad. He was player of the year for Marseille, and he was the third highest scorer, number one being Gibraltar Cisse. Their careers went in different directions, didn't they? That's funny. He had a good couple of years, did Cisse, didn't he? He was all right for a bit. Yeah, he was okay for a bit. Exactly. He was Lord of Frogdale. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot that. That's nice. He was a Marseille fan. He was hurt, I think, when he kind of, Marseille kind of showed him the door because they got big money for him. One thing that Drogba returns to repeatedly in the book is that because he had this, as a child, he moved around so much, he really craved stability. So when he got settled in Marseille, his boy, boyhood club, he was happy to stay and he wanted to stay. And then Chelsea came in with big money. And he was essentially saying, you know, I want to hang around, spend another year here. And they were like, well, you know, they might not come back in a year with the same amount of money. So I think DJ was upset and was a little heartbroken even. Apparently, like in his in his telling of the press conference, like he was really upset. So, you know, there's this, they're announcing this big move in his life and he's just sitting there really sullen and upset. So... Yeah, it's a funny start for his Chelsea career, really. And because Chelsea, at that point in time, were not what they would become, were they? They'd, they'd at that point, no league titles. And on this point, I had a question for you. Do you reckon for Chelsea fans, that period under Jose, do you think that, in the memory of Chelsea fans, that was the best period? I bet it was. Oh, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, that's when people didn't absolutely routinely hate them as well. I was quite thrilled by Chelsea at that period. Yeah, and like they've two Champions Leagues since under under two different managers, but I, I bet you that was the best part. And by God, did they love Jose at the time. I just know here, when he when he went to, uh, as he's saying, he was very upset when he had to go to uh, Chelsea from Marseille. And uh, he says he he was too upset to pack his bags to go to Chelsea. So he made his wife do it. Nice ruse. Nice ruse there. Did he? Oh, I'm so upset to pack. Oh, you're going to have to do it, darling. Oh, I'm so upset to do the washing up. Oh. Well, I thought it was nice, actually, when he was saying that. And he, he went to, to England with no English. And he said, other than some nonsense, nonsense sentences you learn in France, like, where is Brian? Brian is in the kitchen. <laughs> That's in the book, like. Yeah, that's good. What an exciting time at Chelsea. Like So in that summer, Jose had played against them with Porto. That year that Porto won the Champions League, they'd played against Marseille and put Marseille out of the Champions League in the knockout stages. And it was Jose really who had his eye on, on Drogba. So they arrived in the same summer. But they also signed Ar Arjen Robin, Peter Cech, and Ricardo Carvalho from Porto. Like It was a pretty exciting time for Chelsea. Like. Yeah, their, their recruitment at that stage was phenomenal. I mean, I guess they were just splashing money around, though, right? I mean, at the time, what was yeah, it was like twelve mil, which yeah, at the time for a goalkeeper was pretty expensive. And when when Drogba arrived at Chelsea, he didn't know who John Terry was. That's how little he knew about Chelsea. Thought he was a youth team player. Yeah, I don't really understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that kid? But then, in terms of his actual. 
his career. What was interesting in his own recounting of of that first and second season in Chelsea, he was proudly hated by everyone, even his own fans who booed him. Yeah, I've got to tell you, I don't really remember that. I don't remember him being unpopular. In one post-match interview, he did declare that he does indeed dive, which became a big uh, albatross around his neck. Yeah, so he t- two two incidents in his second season. A handball at Fulham, and he poked Richard Dunn in the eye. Poor old uh, Richard Dunn. Yeah, Richard Dunn shows up in all the books doing something stupid and lame. Lovely Richard Dunn. After these two incidents, he was he was interviewed on television. And his English was so poor, he didn't really know what was going on. So he just said, where is Brian? He's in the kitchen. <laughs> they asked him, essentially, did you dive? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> they all do. I mean, that's it. I mean, the English press getting all carried away with someone speaking in their second language and making like an indelicate admission. It's always been bullshit. In his first season, like they, they were winning all around them from the very start, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they were absolutely a phenomenal team back then, weren't they? One of the great Premier League teams. So in his first season, he won the the League and the League Cup. And he scored in the League Cup final. Yeah, and you were saying earlier about kind of the listicle stuff. He's he's got a a super list of of achievements. Uh, One of them being that he just cannot stop scoring in finals, that fella. Nine goals. I mean, that's genuinely astonishing, right? The first genuinely. Player, the first player to score in four FA Cup finals. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. He's a big game player, right? I mean, genuinely, in the absolute truest sense. Like, I'm really jumping ahead now, but when they did win the Champions League, Ferguson said Drogba won them the Champions League. So he kind of hauled them along in, in the memory of Fergie. That's right. Yeah, he loved finals. And he also loved Arsenal. Do you remember back in the day? I think it was the League Cup. No, what do you call it? Charity Shield. And I remember him absolutely terrorising Senderos. Absolutely terrorising. Paul Wenger never learned. Uh, Philippe, I want you to mark uh, Didier Drogba. Oh, nine, nine, please. No, no, not again. No, I think it will work out better this time. Later, okay, you mark Drogba. He fucking destroyed him time and time again. He just think, just go through him. And Senderos wasn't little. So he had his first season at Chelsea. At this point, is not greatly loved by the Chelsea fans, but has still won the league. So he's very, very insistent that he likes a nice, clear preseason. If he has a good preseason, he feels he's going to be good, right? Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. Like, you know, in a kind of dry sense, as interesting as things got in this book. He also said that when he was at uh Gangon, he hired two kind of physios that worked with him for his whole season or his whole career and he said that like on a given day he might do st- stretches for three hours like that's insane isn't it yeah that is insane and it's the first time ever i've really looked at it and thought oh maybe i wouldn't want to be a footballer i mean <laughs> like oh, three hours of stretching the day how much is that worth to me like i i don't care for stretching all throughout his career, when he when he really had a, a great year, it was preceded by a good preseason, and usually a preseason in which he wasn't at a major competition. Yeah, anytime, right. anytime he went to the World Cup, then he'd come back and have a crappy a crappy season for his club. It was after this first season that he received a text message from Frank Lampard, and he which said, "Was go on, I, did, I hope you're staying because we have to win the league and Champions League together." Oh. 
what a what a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Don't be staying because we need to do this. It's it's I'm, touching. Gotcha. I'm never going to throw this phone away. So he said, yeah, it's it happens a few times when these ordinary things happen or are said to, to, there's these very small gestures that people make towards Drogba, which just make him the, mo- the most loyal and dedicated person. So he loved that message so much that he kept the phone. It's quite amazing. Yeah, it's also interesting in this chapter, which really is his golden season. Um. He talks about, this is contrasted Barton, when he's ever he's had a competition as a striker, because at this time I think he was uh, competing with Crespo, or maybe this is the point where he's competing with uh, Shevchenko. It was was Crespo. It was Crespo. He's never had a negative rivalry, always a positive one. He always uses his his, uh, teammates to spur him on as opposed to kill them, like Joey wanted to do. uh, Hospitalised them. He seemed to, yeah, drive him to kind of greater heights, even which is uh, which says a lot about his commitment, I suppose. Well, there he is. Well, and, and you know that said, so I'd say this: Crespo, Shevchenko, and Torres—they were all kind of signed to replace him, right? Yeah, it, it felt that way. So I mean, they were players who were coming in, especially the uh, Crespo signing when he wasn't firing on all cylinders, and he saw them all off, right? And in all fairness. Maybe he was maybe he was secretly stymieing them one way or another. He's just he's he's the same as Barton, but he was just a lot sneakier about it. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he didn't put it down in print. <laughs> Trogba says that one of the things that people always ask him, "What's so special about about Jose?" And I'll tell me after reading this book. Do you think that you know what was so special about Jose? I think I always knew what was special about Jose. I mean, the man was absolutely magnetic at the start, right? Everyone fell in love with him. He was your tabloid prince. He was front page news. And without ever speaking to me <laughs> personally or talking to me, he made me feel special. From reading different things about Jose, he seems to be able to read his player as well and know how to tailor his message to the individual. And certainly with with Drogba, he managed to really get a lot out of him. And I think when Jose left Chelsea, Drogba was kind of heartbroken, right? And he even went to see Abramovich. But he insisted, he had to kind of reassure Abramovich at the end that he was still dedicated to Chelsea. But yeah, I think it sounds like he was really, really upset about the whole thing. I think he said in an interview, which he appears to do every season, but he, he wasn't sure if he'd be at the club next season under Avram Grant. He like Jose can definitely he's able to arouse some kind of fealty in his players. And here I think also his timing was just so good. You know, like he arrived at that really sweet spot for Chelsea when they were bringing all bringing in all of these amazing players, as we said, and and everything was on, on an upward curve. And there must have been such a kind of an exciting sense of momentum and stuff. And they were the only team at that time, it would appear, who had that sort of spending power. This wasn't, this was pre Man City, yeah, Mega State. Chelsea <laughs> were the team with unlimited resources. Nobody else had that. And it wasn't really a time of uh, financial fair play either, was it? It was just, if you had the money, you could spend it. The other thing about, about Jose that Drogba says is that he makes players into winners 
Now, he doesn't go into much in terms of the methodology involved, but that's what he said. He kind of instilled this winning mentality in all of these players who were already good players, but Jose made them um, obsessed with winning. And you can see that. They were they were nasty enough bunch, weren't they? On oh, their yeah, cynical. I mean, I think that was like a benchmark. Like Chelsea would go 2 0 up and then they would shut the game down. And that was the end of the game. It would be yeah. just then 2 0. I mean, they would, they were phenomenal in defence. I mean, that defence is absolutely golden. I mean, Ashley Cole, John Terry, Carvalho, and one more right back with Czech behind them. What a defence that was. Yeah, they were pretty good. So, Drogba says that he looks at everything in three year cycles. And after Jose had been there for, three years in his first three years they won the league twice they didn't win anything in his third season and it was a few weeks into his fourth when Jose was sacked by Abramovich and obviously we learned since that Abramovich was pretty trigger happy when it came to his managers but perhaps he jumped the gun a bit with Jose because yeah like he he didn't give Jose much like one bad season but Drogba does say that Jose was starting to lose the players a bit. Some of them weren't listening. And I think for the ones that were loyal to Jose, that they felt pretty pissed off with these guys that just started to ignore Jose's Jose's edicts. And Jose had started kind of protecting his players a bit, whereas Abramovich wanted to win both the league and the Champions League. Jose was trying to kind of make excuses, I think, maybe for his players at this point. And when Drogba went and confronted Abramovich, Abramovich said, the reason I gave him a few weeks, the reason I waited until now is I should have sacked him after the third season, but I, I gave him the start of the fourth season to see if he could turn it around, but he didn't. That was the end of it. Well, Roman had an Israeli ace up his sleeve, didn't he? Like, yeah, no, thank you, Jose. I've got, a, I've got the new big dog in town, Avram yeah. Grant. Uh, anyway, so they did. They reached for the Champions League final. The famous Russian final against Manchester United. And what did Didier do? Drogba got sent off. And when you think that, you know, you mentioned that he is this absolute machine for scoring in finals and scored a lot of penalties in finals. In the African Cup of Nations, they routinely went to to penalties in, in big matches and he seemed to score a lot of them. So I think that little slap on Vidic's face in extra time might be really what cost Chelsea the Champions League that year. Yeah, that was the it was a funny old final, wasn't it? Because it was a great United team as well. In all fairness, that was that was Rooney and Ronaldo, right? That was when they were at the that was the second or maybe third great Fergie team. Yeah, Rooney and Ronaldo. It was not a great final, though, was it? It was not a great game. And you know, Chelsea had the better chances, really. Like, um, they hit the post, didn't they? Lampard hit the post. And I think Giggs had one. Giggs cleared one off the lane. So yeah, it was. These things are finely poised, really, aren't they? They really are. It's fine margins, isn't it? Drogba said that his grandmother had was sick, and for the final, he was just kind of wandering around for parts of it. I guess he was implying that it was kind of this issue that maybe made him lash out at Vidic and get him got him sent off. But I suppose it's something we never really think about, you know. Players just have shit going on in their lives. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. You, you, yeah, you'd like to think they can put it aside for 90 minutes. Although, honestly, Johnny, I read that and I thought, bullshit. Come on, man. Yeah. 
I didn't believe that. That well, was made him slap it itch. You know, he just had a bad moment and just own it. Like, he also, don't blame your grandma. Yeah, and he didn't rush to her hospital bed either. She died later when he was on holidays with the family. <laughs> Couldn't enjoy the holiday either. Didn't play well <laughs> in that holiday. Thinking about his grandma. Anyway, that was the end of Avram Grant. Cut down in his prime, Avram. So then Scalari came in, and this was fun, I suppose, because, yes, Scalari didn't fancy Drogba a bit. And what, what Drogba said is that Avram Grant had the sense to keep Steve Clarick on, and he brought in another coach from Barcelona. And I think, essentially, Avram Grant kind of, because he had never coached at the highest level, surrounded himself with people who were really knowledgeable. And that was sensible. But when Scalari came in, Clarick left. Scalari was working through a translator and yeah I think Scalari probably just just struggled he does say that Scalari just didn't get it that they couldn't trust of English football Scalari was like doing he had them doing kind of old school kind of training just long runs and conditioning kind of stuff like old fashioned conditioning stuff and he was reassuring the team that come Christmas and the new year when everybody had kind of dropped off they would be really fit but they just kind of never, they never got going on their Scolari and he couldn't get his message across. They were, they were badly prepared both physically and, and tactically and they were just getting stuffed. I just think if you, if you don't speak English and I think Scolari was already 60 by the time he joined Chelsea, I just don't think that's ever going to work out for you. You know, the old dog new tricks. It's one thing Pochettino coming over when he's 38 and picking up English, but I think it's another thing entirely 25 years on. Yeah, that didn't work out. He was gone by February and he left with a kind of a little sting in the tail. I think he had a public attack on the players in an interview, which is always a, which is always fun. That was the end of Big Phil. And then came Hiddick, won the FA Cup, came third in the league, got the semi-finals of the Champions League, but it's not enough for Abramovich. Well, I think this is one of, in all fairness, Drogba's most iconic moments is the semi-final against Barcelona and Chelsea were robbed. That ref was that, as Didier described him, a disgrace. He's a disgrace. And he was. It was outrageous. Chelsea were robbed there. I, I remember watching it at the time and just being absolutely pig sick. Disgusting what football does to you, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's Chelsea. Oh, this is poor Chelsea. Poor, poor Chelsea. <laughs> but, uh, so uh, Droggy goes absolutely nuts. Screams at the camera. It's all a disgrace. But as he says, I'm just saying what the just saying what the fans are thinking. Yeah, you can't do what the fans are thinking. You're a player. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. Like you can't do that. That's why. In fact, sometimes I'm amazed players don't get in more trouble for like going crazy at the ref. It must be so frustrating. I know how I feel watching to be on the pitch when it just seems like that ref is one million percent against you. Yeah. Well, I know what I was like as a player. I was always ready. I was always ready to storm off the pitch at the slightest thing. Like, uh, and I was up, bro. Oh, fuck this rep. I'm off. Fuck off. We're done. Come on, lads. Come on. You're not with me. Yeah, I was uh, very sensitive. But uh, yeah, this is an iconic drug moment. And I do feel sympathy for Chelsea. I, I, I do feel sympathy for Chelsea. That. They, they were robbed. Yeah, and Hiddick did that thing, the, the Capello Rooney thing, told them to run around less get up there by the goal and try and put it into it. So he liked Hiddink, but Hiddink, Hiddink was only going to be temporary anyway, temporary. So he came and he came and he went. This is when he started talking about his faith. Yeah, he's a good Catholic. Yeah, and he, he, is, he credits God with a few assists over the course of his career. He scored a, a winner in the, in the FA Cup semi-final that year 
against Arsenal with six minutes to go. And I'd say, uh, and sorry, he scored the, the equaliser against Everton and Lampard scored the winner. But yeah, Drogba credits the man upstairs with those assists. So what does he think God did when they lost <laughs> to Barcelona? Does God hate him then? Like, oh. Well, he got an interesting outlook, right? He says that he would walk around pitch and essentially praying and asking God to help him out. And whenever that happened, he was like, thanks, God, you're a legend, etc. And then when he lost, like the Champions League final that he was sent off in, he's like, sometimes it's just not your day. <laughs> what, yeah. a, what an outlook, you know? All right, then. So now we move on to uh, Eyebrow Ancelotti. See, Ancelotti did the right thing by calling Drogba up on the telephone and telling him that he liked him. What a magnificent gesture. What a magnificent gesture. Yeah. And that, like you said that earlier on, that his first couple of seasons at Chelsea were his his golden era, but he won the golden boot in Ancelotti's first season. Well, Chelsea's stats were absolutely astonishing. They got the double, scored 103 goals in the league that season. A goal difference of seven plus 71. I mean, that is a convincing season. I mean, that's a plus goal difference of pretty much two goals a game. Yeah. He scored in the FA Cup final again. And just on the thing about his stats, he was the first African player to score under Premier League goals. Did you know that? Yeah, I was surprised he did score 100 goals, actually. I was, I was thought he was one of those players that was on the cusp. But yeah, that's right. He kind of deals with his international career later but he he puts it in here to say that he had a crap season at the year after the World Cup in South Africa he was playing for a few weeks with undiagnosed malaria which doesn't sound like a great combination and it was that January that they brought in Torres and as you said it was essentially to replace him but luckily for Drogba Chelsea did not sign the Torres that was playing for Liverpool they signed a completely different Torres like a body double I mean, going back to the malaria, I'm astonished that a player from West Africa would be so surprised they have malaria. I have a little bit of personal experience. Everyone has fucking malaria all the time. I lived there and I had it five times. Again, he grew up in France, so maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe you are right. So Torres didn't score for three months when he signed for Chelsea. But he'd already been rubbish for Liverpool for a spell, hadn't he? Yeah, and they thought... thought Drogba was finished, obviously. He was in his 30s, and maybe there's always a kind of sense that players that are that physical don't age well. So Torres came in, uh, not for the first time, Drogba found himself kind of on the bench. Uh, United put them out of the Champions League. United won the league. Interestingly enough, his assessment of Ancelotti was kind of contrary to what I would have thought. He said he was a great coach, but he was not great at reading his players, which I thought maybe that was Ancelotti's thing. Yeah, that's right. It's very difficult to really put your finger on what is so great about Ancelotti, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, Roman Abramovich was absolutely jonesing for the Champions League. So out goes, out goes Carlo Ancelotti. And in comes AVB. Lovely AVB. AVB had been with Jose during the first, Jose's first stint at Chelsea. So Drogba and all the other players, kind of the big players, were were really happy to see him come back. But I suppose at this point, really, it was probably just a bad situation for AVB to find himself in, really, because those players were such outsized characters in the dressing room at this stage. I guess they controlled the team entirely. And then they bring in 
a guy like AVB, who I guess is just trying to cut his teeth in management. So maybe it wasn't a good formula for him. AVB was trying to phase out the classic Chelsea team. But Drogba says that he wasn't upfront about it. He was rotating between strikers, Drogba, Anelka and Torres. They were starting, each starting one game in three, which is just weird, isn't it? Like it's a weird way to go about things. Yeah, it's absolutely weird. I mean, I guess he can justify trying to keep them fresh, but... Trying to keep them happy, I guess, is what he was trying to do. But Drogba repeats, uh, he plays when he plays well when he plays. He gets into a rhythm. Eh? He talks about his rhythm a lot, like, and he feels he's just not suited to coming in for a game, sitting out for a game. Not at all. He needs to play every game to play his best. They were having a bad time under AVB, and AVB called in the kind of the main cast of players: so John Terry, Lampard, Czech, and Drogba. And he's saying, "What's going on? Why do we keep losing?" And then he says, can we win the Champions League? And Drogba says, no. And then the rest of them say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Out goes AVB and in comes Roberto Di Matteo. Let's talk about this Champions League final. Al. Yes. How much do you think Bayern Munich fans hate corners in Champions League finals? <laughs> yeah, I never really thought about it. Jesus wept. Um, yeah, so it happened to them again, all over again. Yeah, it did. At home. Is that worse? Yes. Yeah. The goal that Muller scored against Peter Cech. How did that go in? Kind of one of those headers that went straight down, but it went at Cech's feet and it kind of just looped over him, but it was it was pretty poor. I can forgive Thomas Muller anything. I don't know why. I love that kid. Drogba, like having been sent off in the Champions League final in um, 2008, he did his best to kind of scupper this one as well, didn't he? Okay, he rescues them. Matt, Matt puts in this corner. Drogba at the front post puts like scores a beautiful goal, really. Um, maybe question marks on the goalkeeper? Not sure. Then in injury time, he gives away a penalty. Come on, Drogba, huh? He loves giving away penalties, doesn't he? He loves it. It's not the only one he gives away as well. Like, And it's always in my effort. In my effort to help the team. <laughs> <laughs> Who took the penalty out? Well, he took an unconventional style of penalty, didn't he? Because he cut him from the right and then hit it on his left foot. No, he didn't. Arjun Robin, right? Arjun Robin. <laughs> that was nice. Yeah, so according to Drogba, they were kind of getting into his ear about him being a Chelsea man. Yeah. Chelsea yeah, so he missed the penalty and it went to went to a shootout. And Drogba scored the winner, but he meant he wouldn't have gotten to take any penalty kick had uh, Olich, who had just come on as a sub, not missed his because um Chelsea had missed Matt had oh, missed the first oh, one, right? Yeah, it was a shocker, wasn't it? After absolutely, yeah, pleading to take it apparently. Yeah. He wasn't meant to be number one, but he insisted and then he missed. There's a lot of penalty shootouts in the book and Drogba said you always put your best takers at one, three and five. So he was five on this occasion. Yeah, his, yeah, his technique was he waits and he waits and he waits. He didn't like too long a run up because he reckons the uh, keeper can interpret your intentions. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Even like a run up of two steps. That's amazing, isn't it? That they can do that. Yeah, I think so. But is it not true? I've always believed my whole life if you just find the corner any corner, you'll score your penalty, right? As long as you hit it decent. But if it was that easy, <laughs> nobody would miss a penalty. These bloody footballers. 
It's just practice, isn't it? Why do they practice penalties? <laughs> but yeah, that's the Champions League final. And that was, I suppose, going to be Drogba's last ever kick for Chelsea. Not a bad way. Not a bad way for him to go out. Yeah, that's the way to go, isn't it? Really, in terms of the book, the most interesting parts were what happened when he was at Chelsea. Well, certainly from our perspective. I mean, so, for our Chinese listeners, they might be more interested in the subsequent chapters. Yeah, where he goes. Uh, was it Guangzhou? I don't even... It was Guangzhou, was it? No, no, it was Senua Shanghai. Mm, very nice. Uh, where he was known as the Almighty, Tupusong. Yes, I thought he took that a little bit seriously because he had a... <laughs> He had an African friend who'd lived in uh, Shanghai for a while. And uh, yeah, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, people here, they think you're a god. And he's like, they do? Oh, that's not good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they really think you're a god. I mean, I think Morgan Gibbs White is a god, but I don't think Morgan Gibbs White actually thinks he's uh, on Mount Olympus with Zeus. He's just, just a really good player. I think he's accept that. But uh, Drogba took it very seriously. Oh, these Chinese people think I'm a god. Well... <laughs> He also said that he was a meter taller than everybody in China. That which... stuck out to me as well. <laughs> a meter? Because then he really kind of would be a god, I suppose. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. So he had, a, he had a nice time in China. He seemed to embrace his time there. I do notice uh, there was one point where they didn't receive their wages and he went on strike, but uh, he'd like to make that clear. He was doing that for the Chinese players to insist that they got paid. Yeah, he also said that the reason I went to China and subsequently to Turkey was to have different experiences. Of course, the pay package was good. So I looked it up. He was getting like 200 grand a week, which, you know, I guess now is kind of standard for fellas like that. But at the time, 200 grand a week was like, uh, was serious money. Yeah, real money. Real yeah. lovely money. Although, you know, I, I think it was more the cultural experience which he was embracing. Yeah, the cultural experience, and he immediately hightailed it when when there was problems paying him. He was out. He was out the door. You get a lot of culture, two hundred grand a week, don't you? Is that all the culture there. Yeah, yeah. So he had a brief but memorable stay in China, and then after the failure to pay his wages, he was looking to get back to Europe. He had the opportunity, apparently, to go to Juventus with Conte, but instead. And I don't blame him for this. He chose Galatasaray. So one thing that I didn't know is so Galatasaray and Fenerbahce being the, the two big teams of Istanbul, but one is in Asia and one is in Europe. That's kind of fun, isn't it? It is fun. Yeah, it is fun. So uh, Galatasaray being the European one and, and Fenerbahce across the Bosphorus in Asia Minor. Yeah, I always, I always believe that Galatasaray are like the elite club and the... Uh, Fenerbahce of a working class club, which might also be the European-Asian divide as well in terms of how they perceive it. I mean, for me, Galatasaray hold like a, a, a special place in my heart. I mean, I'm afraid Welcome to Hell still still yeah. rings with me. I remember that game from way back and just being so thrilled. In my imaginary football career, I would play for Galatasaray before I headed off to the Brazilian League for a year. Possibly Let me just too. say, in your imaginary football career, you've represented a, hell, a heck of a lot of clubs over the years. I've won a few European Cups as well, <laughs> I can tell you. And I've won some of those European Cups single-handed. Yeah, injured. At great personal cost to myself as well, at great personal cost to myself, cementing uh, me in legendary state. I really do sit around and fantasise about this. <laughs> oh, he's... <laughs> I dived in at the last moment, headed away the ball, heading to the goal. Oh, I took a boot to the face. 
Am I in a coma? I am in a coma. <laughs> the nation waits with bated breath. He's okay. Yeah, so there's not all that much to report about his time in China or, or Turkey, really. In Turkey, he played under Mancini. Um, he said that in Turkey, you're not, you haven't really played in a Galatasaray Fenerbahce game until you've scored. And he score he did, not first time round, but second time round. So. I mean, once again, he is a big game player, isn't he, Vlad? You cannot argue with that. He was only there for a year and a half. And then he was out of there. And where was his next destination, Johnny? What lovable team did he uh, go to next? Back to old London Town. Oh, London Town, you say? Yeah. Back There's to lots the of lovable teams in London. Which team did he join? Back to the bridge. Stanford Bridge. Uh, <laughs> the, Chelsea. The, the pensioners. <laughs> yeah, don't call them that anymore, do they? No. Although it was particularly apt when Drogba returned, because at this point he was old, wasn't he? He was like 36 by the time he got to uh, got back to Chelsea. My memory of the the second uh, the second coming of Jose was essentially that it was a kind of a kind of a bust. But they won the league that year um, when Drogba was there. Although he was a bit of a bit part player at this stage, but they did win the league. Well, they absolutely did win the league, and pretty impressively. That was the little horses as well when he came back, wasn't it? My little horses need milk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I love him. That's quite good, all right. He deals with his international career separately. The elephant in the room, because Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast are called? The elephants. Correct. Les elephants. Yeah. See what he did there? I mean, I'm grateful to him for this structure to the story because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I'm glad for him and I know that Afghan means a lot to him, but I'm, well, we didn't really watch that, did we? I, I, I've not watched many Afghan games in my life. But he never actually won the African Cup of Nations. And perhaps even more disappointingly, they immediately won it <laughs> when he retired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does say, and he's like, uh, yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be alive to say I wasn't a little bit disappointed to be part of a team. That is a sickener, isn't it? I mean, that's you've got this absolute golden period where you've got your your Torres yeah, and what, your Drogba's. But even like like they had players like Ebue, they had Gervinho. Like it was a heck yeah. of a... I lost to Zambia. Name a Zambian footballer, Johnny. Go on. One Zambian footballer. Name one. Name one. <laughs> Do it. I, I can't. You mean the Copper Bullets of Zambia? Yes, of course, I meant the Copper Bullets. Yeah, well, so what was interesting, I suppose, about, about Drogba is he played this big role in Ivorian politics because throughout his career, the country was on the brink of um, of civil war. Like in one game, they had beaten Cameroon, their biggest rivals, and on television, he uh, he this was to qualify for the World Cup. He called in 2006 and he called for there to be peace, peace in our time. And this kind of catapulted him right into the, the centre of Ivorian politics. He ended up bringing the team to the northern part of Ivory Coast to play a game there. And the, the, the kind of political divide was a northern-southern one. I remember at the time him being, really being heralded as a kind of a, a peacemaker. It's, it's a remarkable scene that he, that he paints of like the team going up to the northern city and, you know, people running after the bus and of course he, he paints the picture himself but it's still pretty interesting and there was none of this in you know Jamie Vardy's book <laughs> <laughs> that's really outrageous isn't it bloody Vardy <laughs> yeah exactly Drogba ends up 
occupying this role as a, a kind of iconic African figure. And really, he would have played for France given the opportunity, I think. But then, I think, obviously, largely because of his sporting success, but also because of this uh, dabbling in, in, in the politics of Ivory Coast, he found himself in the lead-up to the 2010 World Cup as very much being kind of the face of African football. He said at one point that he was the first, he was one of, when he he was on the cover of Time, and he was the second African to, to be the, on the cover of Time magazine. Do you remember who the first one was, Al? I'm going to take a stab in the dark go for Nelson Mandela, sir. Was it, <laughs> am I right? Yeah, it was Mandela. Mandela and Drogba. Yeah, I, I mean, that's it. He, he was a, yeah, just a huge figure, and he, he just he has a look about him as well. I mean, like he really does have status. Also, at the end of the book, he tacks on a uh, a chapter about his uh, family. Guess what? He loves them. So good for him. Yeah. Although he he doesn't actually love his wife anymore. I checked. They got divorced in 2021. So. Oh, go on. I tell you what, you never get in any of these books we've read so far, Johnny. Is sex? There's no sex. No sex at all. I want to do a book with a bit of sex. Who would be an indiscreet footballer who would describe their sex? I want to hear about that. Like, there was never any of that. Like, it's a good question. George Best. Oh yeah, I'm sure Bestie would be like that. Um, That's one for the young listeners. <laughs> uh, who else? So Nat Lofthouse. <laughs> <laughs> So, Johnny, would you recommend this book? No. This is a big fat no, isn't it? No. No, it is. It is a big fat no. Yeah, as in you could you could you could pick this book up if you wanted a very easy read, but just don't bother with the first hundred pages or the last hundred pages and maybe read the Chelsea stuff. Would you recommend this book? What what do you make? No, as I as I said earlier, I think you could get the whole gist of his career just by reading his Wikipedia page. Ultimately, I suppose, what you want from books is to learn about these characters that we see uh, week to week. You mentioned earlier that his favourite Chelsea player of all time is Ro Roman Abramovich. So this kind of spectral character, did we learn anything about, about Abramovich? No, no, as usual, we didn't learn anything about Roman in as much as he's a very quiet guy. He has a quiet dignity about him. The fucking sheen that money gives you, eh? Like, people, the respect they have for that man is is astonishing. Well, on one hand, I suppose the way Chelsea is now would make him look like he was he was a, a pretty sensible uh, hand on the tiller, but then also his involvement in, in some of the kind of shadier elements of, <laughs> of Putin's Russia maybe cast him in a different light as well. <laughs> yeah. A little, <laughs> a little black mark against his name there. <laughs> Just a little one, yeah. I think we gave Burton like two out of five. This book is probably worse than Burton's book. Burton's book was bad because Burton is such an insufferable uh, asshole, but this book is actually a bad book. Yeah, it is a bad book. It is a bad book. There's no real insights into Didier Drogba. I, I certainly don't feel I know anything more about the man than I did when I started. That's it, right? Like, so I would say, okay, I'm going to give it a 1.5 out of 5. Yeah, 30%. That sounds about right. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for listening to us talk about a very bad book. Yeah. So the next book is Back from the Brink by Paul McGrath. And if this was a shallow book... 
have a feeling Paul is going to pull us into depths that we haven't uh, haven't been brought to yet. Plunging new depths with Paul. Well, we are the Adamola Bookman podcast. We are on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can get us wherever you listen to your podcast. And thanks to you, Alistair. Thanks again to Dara Fennan for, for, for the music. But yeah, thank you to you, Alistair. And thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you indeed. Nothing in life but dancing.